This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers Portfolio Analyst, which helps sophisticated investors understand the health of their complete financial portfolio. Portfolio Analyst is free and easy-to-use personal finance software that creates a consolidated view of banking, brokerage, and credit card accounts. Sign up for free at PortfolioAnalyst.com. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. GDP looking good. Inflation is coming down. Now, we're just waiting for the Fed. Earnings outlook, well, murky at best. And markets are in full melt-up mode. Kind of fun to watch. Our guest today, John Williams, founder of Shadowstats. All this and much more on episode number 801 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Disciplined Investor, a fine episode it's going to be. I'm very much looking forward to our guest today. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I am the host and uh, the one that sits in the chair and talks with these great guests each and every week, spends some time with you, listening to what you want to hear. I, of course, accept emails and information that you are telling me and maybe some corrective items here and there as well and ideas. Well, thank you so much for that. You could always go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com and click on the Ask Andrew link or check out what's going on there with our various strategies. By the way, Investology, $10,000 minimum to basically get a globally allocated uh, portfolio strategy that we manage for you. It's our it's our entry into the robo-esque, the robo-advisory world, which we call advisor-crafted, and technology-enhanced investing. Kind of the best of both worlds. Check that out, Investology with an E-E-N-V-E-S-T-O-L-O-G-Y uh, is where you go for that. So let's talk about what's going on towards the end of this month. We're heading and closing in on the end of January, and it's been a pretty good month. Defied some expectations, probably from the aspect of What's going on and why is it so good? But at the same time, remember, we talked about this in December. We talked about how there could be a January effect that could be pretty strong due to the fact that a lot of people were selling their positions in December, trying to take those tax losses in order to provide for some relief on what happened in 2022. And that would probably turn into a, a reason to buy in 2023. I didn't expect it until the second part of January, it was pretty much throughout the month that this happened. But it, it was definitely uh, that and probably combined a little bit with the page turn on the calendar where people are like, well, it's a new year. It's a new me. It's a new thing. I'm going to get back all the money that I lost in 2021 slash 2022, depending on when that started to leak for you. And I'm going to invest in all those names that I really like again because I think they're down so much that, well, who knows? 
a lot of fun watching what's going on right now because a lot of conflicting data that is being presented. And now we have even more to think about as we are seeing that the GDP that came in at 2.9%, at least that's what the, the headline number showed. And unemployment and employment numbers, really low. The initial claims, 180. 180. It's a cycle low. What's happening? We hear all about these layoffs, Microsoft and Google and all these other places, right? We hear all about these unbelievable layoffs that are going on right now. But at the same time, we can't seem to see it in the data. Where are they going? Well, maybe some of them aren't filing for initial claims yet. Some of these technology companies are offering severance. So you can't really get both in some cases. And maybe their severance is in lieu of for the time being. And by the time they get their feet on the ground and maybe find another job, they don't need to file for initial claims or for unemployment claims. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. There's a new name, a new phrase, a new hotbed word that's going on right now. You've heard about it. You've, you, you, we've talked about it on DH Unplugged, right? We talked about this chat GPT. We talked about the AI. We talked about what's going on in the world of technology and the incredible superpower of computing that's required to get this going. And what's really quite interesting is that it's becoming, once again, another one of those buzzwords. We're seeing it used in conversation by many different companies as, hey, uh, BuzzFeed, for example, last week came out with, hey, uh, we're going to be using chat GPT for content. Stock was up like 100%. We're seeing other companies come out with conversation about how they have AI, and AI is now this buzzword. Do you remember back when there was a time, not too long ago, there's just one of many, where we saw that there was a, a buzzword that was blockchain. And blockchain became synonymous with, well, use that and the stock is going to rally dramatically no matter what the stock is and what they're doing or, or anything about the stock. And it was really a pretty fascinating time when we saw that there was this, this incredible rush to, I don't know what it is, but damn, I got to have it, <laughs> right? That's, that's what it looked like. That is kind of going on right now. These pops when we see it. Now, there are some good companies in this area. One of the ones that we have been looking at and we saw recently and picked it up for our clients, by the way, in the managed growth strategy is a company called C3AI, symbol AI, which we own for clients, so full disclosure. Um, what's interesting about it is the chart. It's pretty miserable looking from a long term, but the last, uh, I would say, month or so, interesting basing pattern and now breaking out that could, if it happens, move it up into a gap zone or a very low volume area that could really see this thing squeeze pretty nicely and take the shorts to the cleaners on this deal. Interesting, interesting look at one of the possible beneficiaries from all this talk when it comes to AI. And some of it's probably a lot of fluff, but I think there's a good deal of finally here mode that's going on. We finally have the opportunity after all this talk for many years about the promise of artificial intelligence and AI in its many different forms. We're seeing it actually come out and now something to reckon with. And chat GPT was the igniter of that. Wow. Take a look at what it can actually do. 
I know it's crazy that we see that Wharton Business School tests were passed and a, a, a health licensing exam was passed by chat GPT when asked the questions. Amazing. Staged to a degree, possibly, but who knows? I'm not going to pass commentary on that. I'm not saying good or bad, but the fascination with this, I think, is going to grow to an agree, to a degree. And the, and the money that's going into this, when we saw that Microsoft put another $10 billion into another round of funding with ChatGPT, is pretty fascinating that the commitment is there. So let's keep an eye on this just to, as things are moving around in the background and what's going on. In terms of the earnings that are happening right now that we are seeing these earnings beats, and I think Tesla probably being one of them that we want to look at, and, and the idea that Tesla is, uh, and even Microsoft, Microsoft outlook was terrible. The earnings were okay. Their outlook was terrible. Stock was down, piled right up. Tesla, okay, good numbers. The fact that they beat earnings estimates that were severely and, and dramatically lowered over the 30 days prior to the actual earnings announcement and didn't get back up to the number that was originally the expectation, it's pretty sad. It's a short covering. It's a FOMO. It's a worry. It's a panic that's going on right now. When I look at things like, for example, the rest of tech and Intel being just a small part of it, uh, but you look at the rest of tech and what is going on in the commentary from these companies, and particularly the commentary from the forward look, not the rear view mirror look that we had, the excitement from Microsoft and Sean Nadella, but the, the rear view mirror look is one thing. The forward look, though, is really disturbing. The only thing that I can tell you is why this is going on right now, this melt-up that we're seeing in the market, is probably due to the fact that the forward look is that the Fed is going to slow their roll on rate hikes. When we look back to the original time when the Fed was very aggressive and they were saying, you know what, we're going to raise rates. Economic numbers were okay, earnings were good, but markets started falling precipitously. This is the exact opposite. We're seeing that earnings are questionable, outlook is concerned, economics are starting to show uh, you know, contraction in most areas. Uh, consumer confidence is okay, builders' confidence not so good. We're seeing that there's a real problem out there, but the override on that is, okay, well, the Fed is going to slow down. The meeting on February 1st is expectation that has ramped up dramatically. It's only going to be a quarter percent or 0.25, 25 basis points, however you want to look at it. That's the quote-unquote only amount they're going to raise. I think there's still a chance for 50 basis points, just saying. We'll have to see how that plays out. 50 basis points will be a very big disappointment to the markets moving forward. I'll tell you right now. We're starting to see that prices are climbing after China's reopening of certain commodities. That's a concern. We're seeing that, of course, a lot better things are happening in Europe because we're having a warm winter and the price of natural gas is plummeting. The storage of natural gas is, and other energy products in Europe is dramatic. They did an incredible job at making that happen. But here's the rub. What is really true in all this? When you look at the headline numbers, you break down the numbers, you look at the outlook, you look at the projections, it is a process of what does the future hold as an important part of everything that we look at when it comes to investing. And when we don't like the numbers and we get to a point that the government is looking bad about it, what do they do? Well, they change it. 
There's a recent change to CPI that's starting next month. That's going to be of interest. And we're going to get to that right now with our guest because I've been following his stuff for many, many years. And uh, basically, you know, you have to wonder why. Why was all this changed over the years? Why was the statistical methodology changed for CPI back in the 80s? What is it now and what does it mean? What would it have looked like in the past? Right before we get to our guest, I want to mention IBK, our Interactive Brokers Global Trader. Because Interactive Brokers has a simple global trading app that makes it so easy for anyone to invest in stocks worldwide. You can scan the market for opportunities, deposit into your local currency, and trade stocks in the U.S. and Canada. You could trade stocks in Europe in Asia, and you can take a free trial of IBKR Global Trader and gain instant access to a paper trading account with $10,000 of simulated cash. And essentially what you could do here is put the world in the palm of your hand. Really easy, really simple key words here when we talk about trading on a global scale, interactive Brokers Global Trader, or IBKR, as we say, their Global Trader app. Start your free trial today at IBKR.com slash Global Trader. And our guest today is John Williams. And listen, this guy knows his stuff. He's the founder and publisher of ShadowStats.com. He receives an AB in economics, cum laude, from Dartmouth, MBA from Dartmouth's Amos Tuck School of Business, and he was named as the Edward Tuck uh, scholar. And um, during his career in consulting in the area of economics in the last 33 years, by the way, this is not just a guy that just started yesterday. He was worked with individuals as well as Fortune 500 companies. He's been on before, so welcome back because he has a wealth of information and knowledge about things. And and John, how are you? I want to talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in the world of, of eco. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into how you do your things, but where are we today? Like, just let's talk about today for a second, how you see things. Sure. Well, th thank you for having me, Andrew. Um, uh, very simply, uh, I think we're on the brink of a. Uh, well, we're still we're still in a, a, a down economy. We've not fully recovered from the, uh, the the pandemic, despite all the all the hype. And it looks like we're heading lower again. If you look at most of the numbers, had very strong GDP numbers last uh, last quarter or so. But um, all the underlying fundamentals are showing the economy is tanking. I think we're, we're in for a very deep downturn at the same time where we have higher inflation than we've had in uh, uh, decades. Yeah. Uh, and it's come down a little bit. All that is, at the moment is, is sort of gimmicked in terms of the reduction. We have much higher inflation ahead of us. So I'm looking at something along the lines of, a, um, of an inflationary depression oh. in, the, uh, in the year or so ahead. Well, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let's quantify that because that you don't usually get that word very often. You know, the word recession is usually when you say that that's when your neighbor loses their job and the depression is when you lose your job, right? When I lose my job. When you say an inflationary depression, I mean, we entered into a pretty, I would say, uh, once in a lifetime situation back in March, April 2020, where we really were in a depression for a moment there, just for a moment until all of a sudden, uh, well, we were in a, a true economic depression, except for the fact that there was all of a sudden this incredible amount of money poured on us by the government, right? 
Are you talking about depression, depression, or are you using that word a little bit more liberally? Well, depression, um, depression is just a very deep recession. You get, you get into the definitions. The, the recession commonly is defined as a back-to-back quarterly contractions in the broad economy, the gross domestic product. Um, the depression is, is not formally defined other in, in today's jargon other than it's a very deep recession. And uh, I think we're headed for, uh, actually already are in a deep recession. Um, the, what, what, what the government has done here over the decades, and uh, a lot of the games started back in the early 1980s with the uh, CPI, is that they understate inflation. And if you understate inflation, that has all sorts of impact with the numbers uh, against what gets reported and uh, also against what people are, are actually experiencing. Um, back in uh, 1980, the then headline Consumer Price Index, the common measure that people look at today, um, had, uh, had jumped something like 8% uh, on a year-over-year basis, with very high inflation for those days. And um, the, the government looked at it and said, gee, or the Congress did, and say, you know, that means we're going to have to, we're going to have a boost in the cost of living adjustment for Social Security next year. Um, that's going to hurt us in terms of being able to balance the uh, budget deficit. Let's find a way to restate the inflation. And that's exactly what they did, very openly. They, they, they tell you what they do, and it, uh, they tell you the effect it's going to have. But what, what, they have, what they did then they changed the way they measured the cost of uh, um, owning a home. It used to be fairly straightforward with all sorts of things surveyed. They decided to change that to uh, a measurement of what they call the homeowner's equivalent equivalent rent, which is um, what the government determined a um, the average person would pay himself to rent his house from himself, and then the inflation that was uh, determined is what that person would. Uh, would do in terms of uh, monthly increases on that uh, rent to himself. Absolute nonsense. It knocked something like two and a half percentage points off the aggregate uh, CPI, and there were a number of changes that start, that started back around 1982. But the, but that but John um, that that situation right. The problem is you and I can talk about the ridiculousness of it right. The whole farcical way that they did this for the purpose maybe of you know uh, uh, paying less on. Uh, various CPI-linked debt or uh, transfer payments or Social Security, whatever it is, right? But the fact is, the market ate it up, didn't they? The market was happy. Yes, uh, but but even there, I mean, you look at there are all sorts of things get they get affected by that headline CPI because not not you take that what happened at that particular point in time that went on into the uh, early twenty to two thousand. Um, before 2010, and then they sort of ceased doing that. But the aggregate effect is that the way the headline inflation used to be calculated and the way it is today, uh, today is understated by about nine percentage points from what the uh, uh, the average person uh, experiences, and that's 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 major. And uh, when you have well, you have the parallels in, um, in in economic reporting. Um, you look at the uh, gross domestic product. We just had uh, the this broad measure of the of the economy just had it out uh, 
uh, yesterday. Uh, that's a, that's adjusted for inflation. They look at the growth, um, taking inflation out of this quarter and last quarter, and then they look at an annualized pace of change. Um, if you understate the inflation that you're deflating it by, you overstate the inflation-adjusted growth. And uh, so, so the, the, the benefit to the uh, politicians is that with the changes they made to the um, inflation is that they, the, the, the uh, cost of living adjustments are not as great as they should be. So there's less out-of-pocket budget, uh, budget spending. And it, it, it tends to inflate the uh, uh, to to, to uh, overstate economic activity, so things look stronger than they than they are. Um, all all positives from a political standpoint. Yeah, well, that's and, all that matters, uh, right? Let's well, be honest, I, I, <laughs> right? That's all that I, matters I, to them. But but here's what's interesting: the last time there was a major change to the CPI calculation was back in the '80s. Is that a correct statement? Well, that. It was, it was actually in the uh, uh, early 2000s, the, the first big one. Before 1982, the index had been pretty clean and straightforward back in time when there was a, a, fair, a fairly good measure of, of inflation. Starting in 1982, they, they made this big change on the uh, cost of housing and then made a number, a series of changes in uh, the next uh, 20 years, um, all of which had an aggregate effect of understating the headline inflation by about nine percentage points year over year uh, from where it would have been had they not made these changes. Which, which goes to explain, by the way, how I recall back when one of the Bushes put out a stimulus package and it was 200, do you remember the $200 million stimulus package that President Bush put out? Everybody was like, yeah, that's nice. Remember that? That was not that long ago. When was what are we talking about? Within the last twenty years, right? That's not that long well, ago. And well, now, and now we're talking about not even billions of dollars would even scrape up anybody's interest in that being an excitable event for a stimulus package. We go from two hundred million to two trillion. In, in, yes. in, in 20 years, you got to believe that there was a debasement of the currency, that the inflation was a lot more. Listen, I've always said for the last 10 years, John, tell me what you think. I said, everything's costing me more. The good news is there's no inflation. Yeah, right. Right? Well, that's, um, that, that's, that's, that's uh, been a popular view out of the government. Uh, and for the while, um, I mean, as a report, the CPI hasn't been. Um, but it's... Um, that's not the common experience. You talk to the average person, he has a pretty good sense of whether or not he's just maintaining his cost of uh, cost of living. Mm -hmm. If you're not maintaining your cost of living um, and your income is uh, staying the same, the difference is that the prices are going higher. Well, I remember there's an old movie, a Jerry Lewis movie. An old Jerry Lewis movie. I think the uh, title of it was Don't Raise the Bridge, Lower the Water. Remember that one? Yeah. Well, Yep, that's what they do. If you don't like what answers you get, change the question. You know, change the formula. There was a recent change just announced that starting in February of 2023, there's a new change to the way they're going to be calculating CPI again. Uh, well, they're, they're, that's a, an interesting uh, point, and I may or may not be making adjustments here depending upon 
how, how they estimate that, but as I read it, usually they're, they're, they're straightforward. Um, they'll tell you, here's the change, and here's our estimate as to the impact of that change. And uh, going back to 1982, and let's say there have been 20 changes uh, that they, they, they made to the CPI over time there, each time they put out an estimate, this is, what's, this is the effect on inflation. And they think in all but one instance, which was minimally on the upside, all the changes had the effect of reducing um, the, 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 the inflation. Mm-hmm. I just reverse engineer um, what, what they're doing to come up with my estimates of where the uh, – of, of, of where the CPI is, mm-hmm. and uh, it is uh, uh, this new change had the effect. This what what they're doing is they're they're changing the time frame in which they're looking at the weightings of the consumer price index, and they, they use it a two year average up until just recently, which takes you back over the. Uh, uh, the, the, the pandemic, but now going forward, it's only going to do one year. Well, if you look at the inflation numbers that went, that were rising very sharply into last year, that was based on the two year waiting. Now we're going to one year. Right. So that they could, so that they could do a comparative year over year and that would be a much lower inflation rate. Well, it'll be, it, 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 it should show a, a, a more rapid decline in, in inflation if that's where it's going. I think inflation is going to go higher, um, and I, I haven't seen any estimate yet from them as to the effect. But if, they, if it has an, I'm, I'm just trying to what, what I put out, what I try to do in putting out my inflation estimate estimate is to um, state it as it effectively as it was mm-hmm. before the government started monkeying around with it for political reasons. It was honest in the, in the early '80s, and then they blew it apart. Yeah, and which is what's going on right now. You know, one of the things that we, we notice is that uh, with regard to inflation, the fact is that, I you know, people ask me all the time about inflation, John, right? And I'm like, look, inflation doesn't last forever. It's, it eventually it's, it, it, it eventually extinguishes itself, right? Nothing, nothing is a greater cure for higher prices than higher prices. And there's a, there's a, there's a choke point. There's, there's a mercy point. There's a, there's a point where you're going to cry uncle and say, you know what? I, I'm not doing it. I'm not spending $8 a pound on chicken. Now, that may be the case in five years from now. But right now, I'm not willing to do that. And the thing is that um, what's funny is that if we have this incredibly high inflation utilizing the most recent CPI numbers, and if we assume that inflation is going to come down back to quote-unquote normal, this magical 2% rate that every country has adopted in the world. I don't know where they got it from, but okay. Then the fact of the matter is that even if we get back to a normal rate of interest or inflation rate over time, everything still costs us more because we had heavy inflation over the last number of years. It seems to be, I don't even know why the pundits aren't talking about this. It, It makes no sense that that is a great impact on margins and the cost of living for people and the ability to spend and the extra discretionary amounts that are, people have available to them. The only way that we can really have a lot more money is to do a few things. One, reduce taxes, which is a, just a, a raw number right off your income. Government's not going to do that. Two, they can actually, we can have deflation, massive deflation, all sorts of fronts. The feds doesn't want that either. 
So yep. they're, they're pretty much stuck between a rock and a hard place, don't you think? Well, you, you are, um, if, you, if you're, um, unless you do something to, to, to hedge against. And um, the, the best hedge, I, what I've found over time, um, it's an old one, basic, is uh, are, are the precious metals, very specifically gold and, uh, and silver, particularly gold. And um, what you'll find is that if the, uh, you look at my inflation number. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the chart right now. By the way, everybody could go over to shadowstats.com, shadowstats. Uh, the inflation number, the re most recent chart, was showing that, <clears throat> well, again, last month, I guess, uh, was 14.52% uh, on, uh, on a year-over-year -year inflation versus uh, the, the, the official uh, uh, number that was, you know, what, 6.5%? Uh, yep. So big differential. Big differential. Um, the thing is that you have the, uh, what, what, what I did with my index, and I published both of them, numbers on both, uh, mine and the, and the government. Um, if you look at my index level, as it, and it, it was the, the, the same level back in 1982, um, what I found is that the CPI index, mine, uh, pretty much tracks the price of gold mm. or gold, my, my index. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, uh, you know, when I first plotted that, I said, what, 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 what's, what's wrong here? Because I didn't have to change the scale on it at all. Well, the headline CPI, as the government reports it, has a base period of 1982, 84 equals 100. Mm -hmm. I use their series. So back before 1982, which is when they changed it, uh, my numbers and theirs are the same in terms of the CPI. And you go back to 1971 when Nixon floated the dollar, and the CPI in that year, and on their on their index, was about seventy nine. Pure coincidence. That was about the average price of gold in nineteen seventy nine. Mm. I mean, in seventy one was seventy nine dollars. So that the the two of them plot together over time. Only when you get to the breaking point with nineteen eighty two, and my numbers start to explode exponentially using the old. Uh, uh, old calculations. So too does the price of gold. The government's number just sort of uh, peters out and flattens out um, because it's 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 being deflated by the uh, the gimmicks that they're they're, they're putting in it. Um, so I, I think the uh, uh, I mean you, you you get all sorts of volatility in the precious metals markets, but over time you hold the hold the physical metal hold the physical gold, um, that will tend to uh, preserve your wealth in terms of uh, a constant value. Yep. You're not going to make money against inflation, right? but at least you'll retain the real value of the money that you have. Yep. Now you have, you have, uh, you know, CPI inflation numbers are one thing, you know, it's kind of funny by the way, you know, it used to be back in the day that, CPI, PPI were the two that told us about inflation, right? That was the thing. That was, and then all of a sudden the Fed got, you know, they get, they get, they're tricky, those guys, aren't they? Let's be honest. You know, they get into, well, no, 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 no. That's really not our, you know, we look at that, but we're really looking at the PCE. That's our quote unquote preferred. You know, they set the narrative however they want to set it, right? And lately the new things, remember 
where we talked about just two other things that you'll probably find humorous. One, inverted yield curve. What was an inverted yield curve forever and ever? It was a 210, right? Two, two year and the 10 year? That was the big, hey, if you get that, you got a high probability of recession. That's what everybody always said. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then you had, how about this one? Ready? Here's another one. You're going to love this. Two quarters of back-to-back GDP is it considered a recession, right? I mean, that's, is that textbook? That's the tech. It's probably still taught, right? No, it seems not to be the case anymore, is it? So the 210 is now the three month. They prefer the three month and the 10. And I'm thinking to myself, when I heard that not too long ago, I'm like, oh my God, if the three month ever goes above the 10 at that, uh, for, for a long period of time, especially with a pretty good gap in between, man, that would be pretty ugly. Well, lo and behold, here we are. Three month, 4.6%, 10 year at 3.5, right? Then you got the two, two, two quarter back-to-back uh, negative GDP growth uh, as a recession. We had that recently. And no, 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 no. It has to include some specialized uh, assumption about an employment as well now to say if there's a recession. I mean, seriously, it's, it's you've been watching this. For, it's kind of laughable, isn't it? We're in the, we're in a recession, and in fact, what you just saw is um, the closest thing to a, a, a big manipulation we've had to the system in uh, oh, probably a, a couple of decades. The um, coming coming into the election before the election, uh, you had the, you know, the inflation numbers were 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 were, were skyrocketing and. Uh, uh, we had two negative quarters. I mean, that that by by definition is 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 a recession. Um, then the administration did something unusual. They um, moved to deplete the um, strategic petroleum reserve. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love this. And in doing such, <laughs> they not only did they uh, bring down oil and gasoline prices, which depressed the CPI. But they also exported it, which gave us a, a turned our big deficit into a surplus. That's what gave you the surge in the GDP growth in the third quarter, and still largely in the in the fourth quarter. So that what you what where you had the you have in effect a contraction in place first second quarter, uh, and that second quarter actually was not as bad as it would have been because they started some of the games with the oil at that time. Um, but that all that ended in uh, December. So right now, watch oil prices. They're beginning to rise. Uh, the Energy uh, Information Agency is showing uh, gasoline prices up uh, about 10% in the last uh, last four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. That's that will be driving the the uh, inflation higher. Um, you're, you're also going to see the uh, uh, improvement in the net exports disappearing as we no longer have. All these excess, uh, um, all this excess petroleum product to export, and uh, see so what you're, we're, we're, we're sort of like a boa constrictor that swallowed an elephant. You, you see that it flattened out. Boom, the the second and third quarter up around three uh, percent contractions in the first two quarters. Um, you're going to come down very sharply into the next GDP uh, for the first quarter. Uh, 2023, and uh, everything is sinking right now. Uh, if we, do, I, I'd, I'd be shocked if we do not see a very sharp downturn in the GDP in the in the next 
couple of quarters and recognition of, of a deepening uh, re- recession. I mean, just look at, if you look at the underlying statistics, uh, look at real retail sales adjusted for the headline consumer price index. Um, you look at industrial production. You look at uh, no, ISM services uh, and manufacturing, right? Philly Fed. You can go down the all list. All these of numbers, yeah. yeah. All these numbers yeah. are not only down sharply uh, quarter to quarter, but also year to year. We have a recession in hand, and um, the only thing that uh, <clears throat> has kept us uh, from from seeing that in the last two quarters have been the the, the games that were played with the yes, um, petroleum reserves. Yeah. Now, yeah. It was a very it was an effective move. Um, and it's, uh, I'm not, I'm all for having low inflation, uh, but there's also a consideration there about the risks tied to, um, the, um, stability of the petroleum system. And, well, not uh, only, John, John not only that, we gotta, we're, we're, we're now we have to rebuild it. They're committed to rebuilding it. That means we are the automatic buyer in the system that will actually create a safety net. It's like almost having a, a, a stock repurchase plan by a company that you know the company is going to continually buy at any cost, at any price. They're, they yep. they have to rebuild this now. Yep. <laughs> These are not the most, listen, they're tricky. They're not the brightest. You know what I'm saying? They're tricky. They're tricky, not the brightest. So let's talk about just a couple other points here. So so what's what's fascinating is you wonder if if the markets, the stock markets, the bond markets are clearly the bond market is sniffing something out when the rate down to 3.5 with the Fed continuing saying, hey, we're going to be raising stock market rising on this on this, you know, I would say uh, earnings recession to a point where companies are beating estimates, but yet down 25 percent from a year ago. That's a weird scenario that's being built almost by, as I say a lot, amateurish and very unseasoned investors that don't understand the longer term implications of slowing economic and how that drives everything in the system. And yes, we can have those times. I'm sure you would agree with me that you can have that divergence or maybe even that 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 um, total separation of stock market to economic reality. Right. So. For a lot of different reasons, but a lot of times that's based on that's based on the fact that during times of economic stress, you have a Fed and stimulus, and you got to be hard pressed to believe they're going to really be able to come in like they used to come in right now with all that's going on. Uh, it's a very difficult circumstance, and um, we have a very serious inflation problem here that is far from over. And and uh, what's not being addressed? I mean, I've got I have some major problems with the Fed at present. Um, if you listen to what they say, and we're going to have a an FOC, FOMC meeting, I think it's next week. Yeah, it's Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wednesday is uh, the rate decision. They have um, they're raising rates deliberately to kill the economy mm-hmm. because the economy's overheating. And that's driving the inflation. That's uh-huh. nonsense. Uh-huh. The economy's not overheating. Um, at least to look at those uh, those first two quarters uh, of this uh, of, of uh, 2022, they were in contraction. Mm-hmm. And you look at again all the headline series. Uh, I don't care what you, what you look at. You're not seeing anything that's uh, the growing in terms of the basic underlying economy, other than playing games with uh, oil reserves and. Uh, Net, net, net exports. Um, so the uh, what, 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 what is the Fed doing here? No, I don't think they know. Uh, by the way, 
What's triggering the inflation is not the strong economy. If you have an overheating economy, uh, and, and uh, there's so much demand that people are building, building up, uh, are bidding up prices, then you have an economy that's driving inflation, mm-hmm. and slowing the economy uh, may, may help you deal with the inflation. But that's not what's driving the inflation here. What's driving the inflation here is money growth. And what the Fed has done, absolutely extraordinary. And I, I, uh, I, I can't say that I argue too much with their initial, initial approach here, because when you go back to when the pandemic hit, you're on the brink, and you're saying you're on the brink potentially of a, an economic systemic collapse. And what they did was they just flooded the system with liquidity. Now, early on, the, um, the, the, the liquidity went into the most liquid measures, uh, cash, checking accounts, the demand deposits. Um, and um, the first thing the Fed did after doing that was they redefined the money supply. Mm-hmm. They, they changed it. They no longer tracked M1 as the, the down to the, the most liquid measures. It was down at around 18% of the the total money supply, mm-hmm. they redefined it uh, to about 90% of the aggregate money supply, and they delayed its reporting by a month, and went to a monthly reporting instead of weekly reporting. Um, but I've, I've followed those numbers closely, and uh, what I did, I'm trying to reconstruct the old M1. Can't do it because they took some of the elements of it and they no longer report them separately. But if you look at what I call basic M1, which is currency and circulation plus demand deposits, that's your most liquid element. Uh, it's at a uh, 50-year high liquidity right now. Uh, the cash has flowed into the again the current the currency and checking accounts. People are, are have that liquidity and they're spending it. And that's what's driving your inflation. But isn't the if M2 look, isn't the M2 coming down to basic M1? Yeah, isn't M2 up 120% from where it was before the pandemic? But isn't isn't M2 coming down dramatically? Well, uh, yes and no. The M2 uh, M2 is now the broadest measure. I still track old M3, but M2 is your money supply. And right now, 80% of um, uh, or 88% of M2 is, is, is the new M1. Um, so, yeah, that's coming down, but the uh, that's an aggregate, but you have all sorts of things uh, in, in there, investment vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you but, but if you look at the, the uh, narrowest components, uh, the M1... The, the excuse me the the what I call the, again the basic come on the currency mm-hmm. and the checking accounts that's that's the liquid stuff that's what people buy things with they don't uh, they, they, they don't go into a time deposit usually to to, to, to buy something mm-hmm. so that all that's happened here all the liquidity flooding into the into the system has, has gone to the near term uh, cash and cash like instruments. That's the liquidity. The actual, that basic M1 uh, hasn't changed much at all against its pre-pandemic peak. Mm. And again, it's up 120% and unprecedented. Um, and uh, where the M3, or excuse me, the M2, is up about 
was up about 40%, maybe it's up 34%. That's coming down, as she, she said, against this pre-pandemic peak. But that M1 um, has seen something like 23 years of stimulus, the equivalent of that, in the last uh, two and a half years, or however long ago it was that the, the pandemic hit. And although the year-to-year change has slowed, and although you're seeing the broader um, and by definition less liquid aggregate measure coming down, the, um, the, 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 the that's not happening in the most liquid area, which is what's driving the driving the mm. the, the inflation, driving right. the consumption. So, so that's really the whole thing. The inflation is really a problem. The fact that the Fed can't step in. The fact that we're seeing that many of the economic, even the currently reported, not monkeyed around with economic uh, numbers are rolling over dramatically. And somehow a lot of this is being masked by some of the shenanigans that have been played and really duping a lot of players. And by the way, not a lot of people out there, they're concerned. They think we're going to a recession, but for the most part, everybody believes all the numbers. It's, it's, it reminds me of, you know, everybody's talking about how, ah, oh, can't believe those numbers out of China. The government manipulates them. We all know that. But when the numbers come out, everybody believes them. You know, it's the same kind of thing. We all know that this game is being played. But at the end, we also know that everybody's watching this and we'll just, you know, we see a better than than, than a better GDP number with a lower uh, cost factor and a, and, a, and a PCE number that comes out that is like, oh, okay, it's not that bad even though everything around it is like just, uh, it's not that great, but it's not as bad as it could have been. You know, markets are on fire this year. We're talking about like, you know, like like uh, the um, uh, NASDAQ up 8% in the month of, of January, which there's a lot of reasons that may be. And maybe, you know, the fact is it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, a sugar high on some of the stuff that's been going on. But, um, you know, I agree with you that, that, that you know, the monkeying around and, and all the things and the conditioning, by the way, under Bernanke, the communication strategy, which I say is more of a brainwashing strategy. That's my take on it, right? It's not yep. them trying to be more transparent. They're trying to not only lead you by carrot, but smack you over the goddamn head and make sure that you are doing what they think you should be thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever, do you remember the, the, the old days? When I say the old days, I'm not talking about like, you know, 40 years ago, 10 years ago. We didn't have the parade of Fed speakers on a regular basis all saying the same thing or trying to go back and forth and sending up trial balloons like we did. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yep. Yep. So you and I don't have it's a lot. A, you and I don't have a lot to disagree with, do we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to end it there. I want to thank John Williams. Check out all that he has to offer over on shadowstats.com. Some great charts, some great information, insight, continuation of a, of a daily note on economics. You could be a part of as well. Uh, go to the episode, uh, show notes of episode number 801 on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. John Williams, thank you so much for being here again. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate uh, you having me on your show. T- take care. Andy. Thanks. I thought that was a lot of fun. I mean, that that was some good information there, talking about not only about the current state of affairs where we are, but what it looked like when it really was before it was bastardized. You got to appreciate the fact that when we're looking at some of the numbers today, we have to realize that there is some of a, uh, as Ben Hunt would say, the nudging 
the nudging that goes on that does it get us to be, you know follow along a certain path and pasture into a particular well cow pen for God's sakes of beliefs. So hopefully we got to uh, some of that right there. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. I appreciate you. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion with uh, Mr. Williams there. Uh, And uh, we'll see you again next week with some great guests. Thanks a lot. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 